Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and measures. He said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Rage Bible is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up and shalom. Welcome to The Rob and Caleb Show, the show where theology matters and scholarship counts and... Theology matters. Theology matters. My name is Caleb Haig. With me today, of course, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? That's it's okay. I already shared a little bit about my my. Now, your wife doesn't. Your wife doesn't listen to this show, does she? No. Okay. Yeah, and mine doesn't either. So now you can tell you can tell our listeners what happened. Well, she's she's, she's out gonna walk- kill you. Well, she's out walking with a friend right now, and so I. Uh, <laughs> I went to make myself a smoothie with the Vitamix thing, and I had it going great. I had bananas. I remembered to get bananas yesterday at the grocery store. I got bananas, put a dollop of peanut butter, organic peanut butter, put a handful of fresh almond, you know, almond raw almonds in there, some almond milk, a little bit of cocoa powder. I was loading it with all this good stuff, and I was like, yeah, well, I'd left this metal spoon in there. <laughs> And think because there was still some peanut butter, and I thought, okay, I'll just you know put some other stuff on there, and I totally forgot that the spoon was in there. <laughs> then I put oh, the lid man. on. I'm like, I'm like, you know that. <laughs> I was thinking, does that normally sound that way? <laughs> like those ice cubes can't be that, you know. And then I open it up, and I'm like, I just. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm it's sorry. Like, I'm not trying to like laugh at you. Of of like embarrassment <laughs> of like I can't even believe. I did that, and now it's going to be pretty penny to replace that. I'm sorry. I was so tempted to drink this smoothie anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, there's there's probably metal. That is a a fat kid move for sure. (laughs) Like, I don't care. (laughs) At least some metal flex in here or something. Mmm, spoon. So I'm feeling a little bit... uh, I don't know what the word is. Can you believe that we only have uh, now Gary Springer's in the chat room with us. So it's me and Rob and Gary in the chat room. Now Gary's our, our, our administrator. Yeah. We have scared everybody off apparently last week. I think Adam's not even really there. Yeah, I think Adam Smith probably isn't even listening, but he's the one person in the chat room with us today. I think yeah, it could also be that I didn't send show notes out today. So that could, you know, people have forgotten. Oh, we got another one. <laughs> oh no! It's Michael. <laughs> it's another. <laughs> it's another employee at Torah that's a, Research. That's a pity. That was a. Uh... <laughs> uh, it's a. It's a. It's a, a pity chat room. Uh, Adam oh, says Adam he's says there. he's there. Okay. All right. All right. Well. Anyway, I got something. Now, maybe maybe this is why the Lord has made it so no one's in there today. I got something very special for you, and I. It, well, actually, let's say this first, before any of that. Um, so the guys over at Passion for Truth, which is David Robinson, and I think their whole uh, administrative board, and then uh, my buddy, David Wilbur, 
who was at Passion for Truth. Uh, they dissolved Passion for Truth. They wrote letters about it. That was in what last year, last week's show notes. And uh, so they dissolved Passion for Truth and they started a completely new ministry called Freedom Hill. And, uh, you know, I haven't listened to a lot of David Robinson. I'm not exactly sure where he stands on a lot of issues, but uh, I'm excited to see what they do with this. Uh, uh, you know, I, I talk to David Wilbur often because he's my friend. And so uh, I'm excited to see what these guys do and the direction the Lord takes them. So, um, yeah, keep your eye out for Freedom Hill. They just uh, started a Facebook page. So that's exciting. Um, and then the other thing is, I found something the other day, Rob, that I think that you are just going to just be very excited about. I'm, now, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to start reading the description for you, okay? Okay. Here we go. Imagine if you discovered a treasure chest in which were hidden ancient mysteries, revelations from heaven, secrets of the ages, the answers to man's most enduring age-old questions, and hidden keys that can transform your life to joy, success, and blessing. This is the Book of Mysteries. Jonathan Kahn, who caused a national international stir with the New York Times bestseller, The Harbinger and the Mystery of the Shemitah, now brings us a treasure chest inside of which are contained some of the greatest mysteries of all time. The Book of Mysteries opens with, the, with a traveler and his encounter with a man known only as the teacher. The reader is taken along to partake in the journey and in all the teachings and revelations. The traveler keeps a journal in which he writes down each of the mysteries given to him by the teacher in his one-year odyssey. 365 different mysteries, one for each day of the year. Thus, on top of everything else, the Book of Mysteries is also a daily devotional unlike any other it solves our calendar problem it, exactly. the biblical calendar must be a solar calendar you know no offense to, to mr khan but uh well he's selling who's he selling to? who's gonna buy that who that's like a lure you know what i mean like if you got fish in the river if, and there's you, like if you got 365 mysteries in your biblical text I hope he's answering them. Oh you know, we've said before, I've said before, I don't think that Jonathan Kahn actually knows what the word mystery means. A mystery is well, something... No, no, no. He, he, he uses it... Well, he uses it for marketing. He's already got another book with the word mystery in it. And now there's another one. Yeah. Anything that has ancient, secret, mystery, Jewish... Revelation. Um, what are some of the other hot words there? Revealed, transformation, success, uh, success. Yeah, uh, transform your life to, to joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a that's a that's a con if I've ever heard it. Oh my word! Well, that's a spiel. Why? I mean, I don't understand why this guy is still writing books. He did the mystery of the Shemitah year, and it was totally... does it come with a secret decoder ring? <laughs> I tried to write a horrible review of it, even though I haven't read it. <laughs> but no. Oh, that one. There's people wouldn't let you do that, killed. Well, yeah. So last week we talked uh, about this documentary, The Way. Which, you know, I, a lot of people thought I was, like, criticizing the film itself. What I was criticizing was 
the film makers having Michael Rood in it, which pretty much makes it an awful movie in and of itself. And I also was criticizing the people, the other people who were in it for a, a, agreeing to do a film that had Michael Rood in it. I mean, why wouldn't you, doesn't discernment tell us that we would, should ask who else is going to be in, you know, a film with us? You know, like, I, I, I don't know, I could give an analogy, but anyway, it just doesn't make any sense. Hmm. You know, when Brad Scott wrote me and was like, I'm not two house. Okay, but you're doing conferences constantly with a bunch of two house people. I mean, let's leave your teachings alone for right now. Just the fact that you associate, you're, you're at two house conferences all the time speaking. What are people supposed to think? So if people like Rico Cortez and, and Brad Scott and all these guys, you know, they're in a film with Michael Rood. What are people going to think? Guilty by association. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe that's not fair. Um, that was my criticism. I, however, maybe, maybe the movie shows multiple perspectives. Like maybe that's uh, true. Contrary, and that's just it. Is that I haven't seen the movie, and I'm not putting down the movie's uh, theology, or I'm not putting down the you know the movie's perspective or anything like that. I'm just the question still stands: Why would you do a movie with with uh, Michael Rudin? Unless you, I mean, and maybe you're right. Maybe uh, Rico Cortez went on to basically say, "Look, Michael Rudin's full of it, and uh, you know nobody should listen to him." And if that's the case, bravo. Bravo. I, I certainly think that that's worthwhile. Uh, you know, don't listen to the guy that's the other guy that's in this movie. <laughs> that would work. Um, anyway, so uh, that's not loving. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they would get, of course. That would. Well, that's going to offend people to tell uh -oh. them that they, they shouldn't listen to a certain teacher because their their teachings are false and they have a the track record of false teachings. How how dare you say such a thing? Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't want to offend anyone. Um, that would just be wrong. Um, so the, I stopped allowing uh, comments on my YouTube channel, uh, and the reason I did that was because I, basically I noticed that all of the comments that were coming in were from people who were like, "You guys are idiots. You guys are morons. No, you're so wrong." Blah blah, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> And then all of the comments on our Facebook page were like, oh, this was a great show. But, you know, so it was like people were trolling on on YouTube and then there was this, you know, and I wanted to get all of the trollers to get together with the people who were like happy about the show so that there could be some discussion. Now, as soon as I so I, I, I disable comments on the on the different shows and then our old friend Miguel Miguel, he uh, he decided that he would just ping me on his on his Google Plus page and make a comment anyway. So we had cool. a little bit back and forth. Yeah, that's totally fine. Um, so we had a little conversation. And uh, so we were talking about the documentary, The Way. He says, you specifically criticize it, that is the documentary, because it has these, two, quote, these two house teachers. I don't know if you've read the Tanakh, but many times I love, I love how he like backhanded comments. I don't know if you've ever read the Tanakh, but many times it mentions two houses. I have read the Tanakh, much of it in Hebrew. And yeah, so I wonder if, anyway, the house of Judah and the house of Israel, usually sometime after the death of King Solomon. So he, he says uh, the two houses, the house of Judah and the house of Israel, usually sometime after the death of King Solomon. Yes, but that was man-made. That wasn't God-made, was it? The separation of Israel and Judah was not, uh, you know, that wasn't God's, it's not like God was like, okay, I want you two to separate. 
You're going to be down here and you're going to serve me and you're going to be up here and you're going to reject me. Right? That's not. And what happened when, when, uh, when Israel was defiant against God and Judah was trying to, you know, serve God, what happened? All of them got exiled. Why? Because they're one people, not because they're two. So, uh, you know, and this idea that we have lost tribes, no. The tri tribes returned after the Babylonian exile. Right? People want to read, like, Romans and say, oh, Paul quotes Hosea. Therefore, therefore, well, Paul's, when Paul says Gentiles, that he's going to go to the Gentiles, that's code word for lost tribes. Well, okay, so the, here's the other thing. I, I, I agree with you, and we're going to get into Romans here in a few minutes. Uh, by the way, the, the way, the way that this show came about was we were going to talk about ir irresistible grace, and yesterday I started looking at a totally different passage in my Bible and realized I think I disagree with my dad on something. And so all of my research and all of my day was spent looking at this one passage and then talking to my dad about how I was viewing it as opposed to how he was doing it. And we can talk about that in a little bit too. Anyway, so all of the prep for the show, including your show notes and everything, didn't happen. <laughs> could I could I share, before we dive in into that, can I share a footnote on the in, earlier comments that you were sharing about disabling comments? Yes. You know, and, and like, well, sometimes we get emails, right? So we get people posted on the YouTube or used to, some people in the Facebook, and sometimes we just get emails. Well, I got an email from a guy from a guy named Rabbi Randy. Rabbi Randy. And it's called the title of the email is Aleph Tov. This was August 4th. So what's today? Today's the the 10th. Okay. So August 4th. Dear sir, it says, I'm sorry you lost your excitement for this key to scripture. Of all the secular dismissals of the Aleph Tov, I've yet to find one that explains why is this, quote, direct object marker not used consistently in Scripture? Why is it used? It is so many, but he means in so many significant places. That is creation, creation of man, all the covenants in Messianic prophecies, dot, dot, dot. Please answer these questions before you cause any more little ones to stumble, exclamation mark. Blessings, Rabbi Randy. Okay, hang on so just I, a sec. Before you go on. You're a legend in your own mind. Your mom goes to college. I think that view is headed for a deep mischief. Go for it. So I replied right away that same <laughs> evening. Dear Randy, happy to chat with you about this. Do you Skype? I gave him my Skype number. I said, you select the Hebrew passages most relevant and we'll read through them together. Cricket sounds. Oh, wait. Then I have... went and I wait. went to I searched his email. Like I took his email search. I couldn't find I couldn't find this guy anywhere on the internet. So you know what that means. So Rabbi Randy, if you're out there, if you're listening, which I think you probably are not even aware of our show because we haven't talked about the Olive Top for a long time, but you probably maybe came across an article we put up maybe a year or two or three ago, however many years ago that was. And maybe someone read it that you know, and they brought it to you, and you didn't know what to do with it. And so you thought you'd go to the source, which is a good, good 
but uh, could you please get back to me? Reply to my <laughs> response because I feel like uh, otherwise I have to believe that you are either fake, that you're really not Rabbi Randy, or it's just you're just trying to do these drive-by shooting kind of thing. So uh, Randy Mitchell, Rabbi, call, uh, get back to me and we'll Skype. We'll read some Hebrew together and you can ask all your questions about the Aleph Tav. Okay. Let's go back to Miguel. So after I explained my, remember, he's talking about the two houses of Israel, right? He's talking of Israel and Judah. Now, so I say, I say, well, you know, here's, here's my view, here's my problem with, with two house theology. And what I explain is that Bacha Wooten has this form of uh, British Israelism, uh, where basically she says that um, if, if you are a Christian in the Christian church, who is uh, drawn towards Israel or Torah, you're actually one of the lost tribes of, uh, tribes of Israel. That is physically descended from Jacob. Okay? And so now I reject this. I think this is totally wrong and not in Scripture. <clears throat> well, uh, Miguel comes back and says, well, you've only taken one, you've taken one flavor of two-house theology and you've slapped it on all of us. Okay? As if he rejects what I have just said. He says, I, me, through my study of the Tanakh and the apostolic writings, believe that you have to take the meaning of biblical Gentiles through the lens of the book of Hosea. Yes, there is room for the Gentiles in the salvation story, but the text, through the inspiration of Yodhe is specific about the people who were his, became not his people, i.e. cut off, and the miracle of redemption to once again be his people. That is the difference between repentance, all capitals, repentance, the return of the house of Israel, and conversion, having never been in the house to begin with, but wanting to be in the house by belief. That totally no, can unscriptural. I just, can I just talk about that right? So what this person is saying is there's a difference between repentance and conversion. Repentance is bringing Israelites, lost Israel, back to Torah, That's back right. to true That's what he's worship. Saying. Yep. Conversion is a non-Israelite, a, a goyim, you know, someone from the nations who has no blood relation to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, to become part of God's people has to convert. That is an absolute, uh, uh, what we would call... Heresy. Well, yeah. I mean, he's imposing that. He's, yeah, it's eisegesis. There's that, no doubt that's about that. That's eisegetical. Uh, because, in fact, you look through Acts, it says that the Gentiles were granted repentance... Gentiles, remember Cornelius. No, even no. the Gentiles were granted repentance. Okay, he goes on though. So let's give him. Let's let's listen to his whole comment. He says the message of John the Baptist was repent and be baptized because he was preparing the way for the Messiah to both houses, Judah and Israel. John was never quoted as preaching conversion. <laughs> I'm not of those that believe that England and America are the houses, especially understanding that Israel was dispersed to the four corners of the earth. Well. I think that no no one outside of British Israelitism uh, believes that. So you're falling directly into the Bacha Wooten camp of two-house theology. So I don't know why you would have disagreed with me on that in the first place. I don't erase Gentiles. Yes, that's what you're trying to do. Those that were never in covenant with Yodhe from the equation. But the Tanakh is very clear about who are his chosen and what the love story, that is the gospel, is all about. 
Okay, so this is what I wrote back. I wrote back and I said, I would disagree. Paul tells us exactly what the gospel is in the Tanakh. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is why I disagree with the two-house theology. It is not taught in Scripture. So then he writes back, and this is the final little uh, quote that I pulled. He says, uh, that quote doesn't disagree with what I'm saying. Actually, yes, it does. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. That is grafted in to where was the house of Israel dispersed to all the nations. So in other words, he's saying that since it, the house of Israel is dispersed to all the nations, all the nations will be grafted back in because all the nations have descendants from Jacob there. Where was Paul preaching? In the synagogues. Where was uh, the dispersed, uh, uh, where the dispersed were? That's not, I, I mean, yes, he was preaching in the synagogues, but he was the uh, apostle to the Gentiles. But yes, yeah. he would also preach in the streets. It is caught in. Uh, it is taught in Scripture. You ju just may be looking through the wrong lens. Christianity dash Calvinism. <laughs> it's not taught. In, no. Uh, see, this okay, is okay, the here, here's 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 some important scriptures. I'll just pull up because it's the word repentance. Um, it's the same word used repentance for uh, you know John the Baptist. You know metanoia in Greek. Uh, guess what? In Acts uh, 17, therefore, although God has overlooked such times of ignorance, this is on Mars Hill, he now commands all people everywhere to repent. Same word. In Acts 26, Paul uh, talks about he's given testimony to in his own uh, uh, past. But I declare to those in Damascus first, and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds consistent with repentance. It, it goes on and on. Acts 11, like I, I just quoted a minute ago, when Paul or when Peter recounts the vision to those of the circumcision that were saying, hey, man, you went in with uncircumcised people and ate with them. What's up with that? You know, and he tells them the, the dream, and then they rejoiced. They praised God, saying God has granted repentance, has granted the Gentiles repentance unto life. It, there are so many examples. Uh, Acts 20, testifying to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God. So this we, is just ridiculous that someone is taking this idea of repentance and coming up with a, a specialized meaning. And then they have to have this idea of conversion, which is a, not really something we find in scriptures. It's not really a word convert. And imposing those on, on the text. Well, you have, you have okay, so we've never actually talked about two-house theology on this show before. <clears throat> I mean, we haven't passed it, but we've never actually sat down and said this is why we disagree. And uh, there's a lot of different aspects to this. First of all, in Jeremiah and in uh, the other prophets, they're prophesying at a time when Israel and Judah have separated themselves from each other. Right? Mm -hmm. Judah's in the south, Israel's in the north. You have these prophets who are now prophesying. To, these, uh, to this fractured unit that has now become two. And what and the, the prophets are prophesying within their own time and within their own within their historical framework. And so when they're talking to Israel and Judah, they're talking to Israel and Judah because from their standpoint, from their vantage point, there's two, there's two separate entities. That, this is not the way that God has set it up though. and we see this in Jeremiah 31. Right, he says, I, "I'll make a, a, a covenant with the house of Judah and with the house of Israel." And then what happens after that? 
It's no longer, Judah is not mentioned ever again. It's just Israel. They become one in the new covenant. <clears throat> and I know that the two housers, like our friend here, Miguel, who, you know, I don't, perhaps he's never read Bacha Wooten, but from the interaction that he's given here, it seems as though he fully subscribes to to the Batya Wooten uh, flavor of two-house theology. I mean, he pretty much spells it out perfectly. This erases the idea of Jew and Gentile together. It makes it makes uh, only the descendants of Israel and maybe a couple of stragglers who want to convert, quote-unquote convert, uh, come over into uh, uh, true faith in the Messiah. And this is a huge problem because this is not what the what the uh, prophets tell us. The prophets tell us that that all the nations will come. Zechariah fourteen specifically talks about the nations coming up and celebrating. Now, of course, our buddy here is going to tell us, no, no, no. Well, yeah, the the those descended from Jacob that have been dispersed to all the nations will come back. That's not what it talks about. That's not what it says. Yeah, because in the core gospel promise, like you pointed out, Caleb. To Abraham, right? I mean, that's the anchor. In you, all the nations of the earth, right? That's yeah. That's the core. Yeah, exactly. But that's the promise. That's that's why we like that term, promise theology. Yes. So, uh, do you want to go? Do you do you have anything you want to say about two house theology before we go on? Um, something that you haven't covered. Not really. Nothing comes to mind that that you haven't already uh, described. Well, what's going on with the two house, the two housers? And honestly, with a lot of, oh, so my uncle, uh, my uncle David, uh, who is the pastor of a Baptist church, and when I say Baptist, it probably leans a little bit more non-denominational, but uh, anyway, uh, so he's a pastor of a very large Baptist church down in California. He is a dynamite, dynamite preacher. Uh, very easy to listen to, and uh, you know he he holds he holds his line when he, when it comes to what he believes the, theologically. Now my my father and my and my uncle were both raised, and so were my aunts, uh, by my grandfather and uh, my grandmother, who were staunch dispensationalists. Now, both my uncle and my father have since uh, dropped dispensational theology. They did so back before seminary, I believe. Uh, so uh, much to the chagrin of of their parents. But uh, what all, the reason I'm talking about this is because what the two houses are trying to do, what dispensationalism is trying to do, and uh, what is a constant rub for many, many, many people is trying to figure out if there is a place for the physical nation of Israel. Now, when the two houses talk about Israel, they're talking about the northern tribes only. They're going to say that the Jews... When we say Jews, they're going to think the lower tribes, that is Judah. I reject this uh, this parsing out. Uh, I believe that the nation of Israel, and I think that we see this with Paul. Paul talks uh, throughout the book of Romans, as well as other books, uh, of, of Israel as the physical descendants of Jacob. Hey, again, if we look at Luke again in Acts, he's saying house of it, they're, they're addressing the house of Israel, men of Israel, you know. In their, in their preaching, in the book of Acts. So should we go straight to the, the passage that I was looking at yesterday, or do you want to talk about Hosea more? Because you had an interesting insight into Hosea. Well, I, it's, not, it's not an insight. It's not new. 
I mean, it's it's just I was curious that of all the commentaries. So if if you know the Book of Hosea well, chapter, why don't, you, why, don't, why don't you read that first portion yeah. so that people know what you're talking about? I gotta do it on my pull it up here. Um, Hosea chapter one. So Hosea right uh, preached in the eighth century, so middle mid seven hundreds BC. Uh, before the destruction of the northern kingdom by the Assyrians. And uh, the Lord commands Hosea, says, take a, well, here, I'll read. I, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, uh, Hosea 1, verse 2, when the Lord, I'll read NASB, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take yourself a wife of harlotry, and children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So the land here, is it the land or is it the, the people? Is it the inhabitants when it says the land? Well, um, this phrase, a wife of, it's Eshet Zenunim, wife of harlotries, the Yalde Zenunim, and children of harlotries. Then, Verse 3, so he went, he obeyed, just it's the same verbs, and he went and he took Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, Diblaim it says, Vatahar Loben, and she conceived and bore to him a son, and Lord said, name him Jezreel, which is Yisrael, which is Elohim will sow, the Elohim will sow, right? And then, and for yet a little while, I will punish the house of Yehu for the bloodshed of Yisrael, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then it goes on. So that's the first son. So Hosea and Gomer have a, have a firstborn son named God will sow, right? That God's going to do it. God will sow. But then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. It doesn't say to him. And the Lord said to him, name her Lo Ruhama, which is uh, uh, no, not, not obtained mercy, does not have compassion, no compassion. For I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel. Um, and then it goes on, uh, when she, she had weaned Lo Ruhama, she conceived and gave birth to a son. So the child number three is a son. Lord said, name him Lo Ami, for you are Lo Ami, not my people, and I am not your Elohim. My, my point was, in the commentators that I've looked at, I've looked at several, note that she bore to him, that preposition Lo, only occurs with the first child, with Yisrael, Jezreel, you know, that God, El will see it, will sow. But the next two the, you know, the middle child, or the second child's a girl, Lo Ruhama, and the third child's a boy, Lo Ami. They, it just says that she bore them. It doesn't say to him. And my suggestion is, well, why not read the, this whole family, you know, building of this household here in light of that first thing. Go take for yourself Ashet Zenunim and children of Zenunim. In other words, that, why not read that only the firstborn is is actually Gomer's offspring. So and in the other, other words, two, so other two are doubtful if they, if they don't know who the father is. Now, so the but every commentator I've looked at, and I haven't looked at 
I've been exhausted, but I probably looked at five or maybe five or six. And they, they all pretty much agree, say, oh, you can't, just because it doesn't say to him, that's not enough to build a case that, the, that child number two and three are not, in fact, gomers. And, but they don't, I haven't seen anybody actually, to my satisfaction, comment then and make the connection. Well, why does he say go take children of, of harlotries then? In verse back at the beginning of the book. Unless that there's a struggle for Gomer here. He's like, man, what am I supposed to do? I, I'm supposed to marry this woman who's, who's an Eshet Zenunim. And I'm supposed to have children with them. And God's going to tell me what to name them. That, that couldn't have been easy for him, right? Well, why? Because... God wants to show, and if you go on to chapter, chapter 1, he says, Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And the place where it is said to them, Lo Ami, that's the third, third born, it will be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Um, and then it says, The sons of Judah, the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader, Rosh Echad, one head. They will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Israel, of Elohim will sow. So, which is the name of the firstborn between Judah, or between Gomer and, and, uh, and Hosea. So, I guess, I, I don't know, maybe, you, maybe other people have studied this out. I just, I'm not satisfied with the commentaries that I look at that say that, oh, they just, it feels like they're just brushing it out of the way. But I started thinking, well, what, what would the consequence be if we just explore the possibility that Hosea, I think I misspoke uh, earlier, what Hosea's second and third child that he named, Lo Ruhama and Lo Ami, what if they were not his? What if they, would they represent non-Israelites? The Gentiles. But that he's, he, he, but they're his, and they get, they basically through his covenant faithfulness to his wife, he adopts them and brings them in, even though they are not his, even though they are not his. And and it fits with their names too, Lo Rucham and Lo Ami. Um, so anyway, I, I feel I, I feel an SBL just, paper coming. Oh, I don't know. I think people I think it's someone's probably written on this and done a good job with it. I just it's not on my radar at this point. Um, so we should hasten to say, uh, and the, uh, Philip in the chat room has made some, our chat room is growing, by the way. Uh, Philip has made some some comments, and it looks like, uh, I, should, I should clarify, you know, I think that uh, when I say that two-house theology is heresy, I'm not saying that the people who believe in two-house theology are heretics, but rather that the theology itself is not found in the Bible and goes, in my opinion, goes contrary to biblical the biblical theology that the word lays out okay so that's how that's why i call the two house theology itself heresy however I, I i also have good friends who hold to two house theology okay and uh, i'm not saying that they're not brothers in the lord you know we've gone back and forth with rico cortez uh, on various issues but uh, in my mind uh, you know i think that uh, rico's a, a brother in the lord and even though we might disagree on certain things uh, his his belief in two house theology does not uh, make him not a brother. Uh, so just a, as a point of clarification, there. Um, so I think your point on Hosea is interesting. However, I don't know if I fully. Uh, I'm not sure if it matters in in terms of how Paul quotes <clears throat> Hosea as, as Paul because Paul quotes that passage in Romans nine, 
And he, he's arguing that it, it's not by works. It's, there's nothing a man can do to impress God. The, the only way to please God is by faith, and faith is a gift, right? He says it's, by, it's what God chooses, not by man's works. And so, and this is true for both Jews and Gentiles. And Paul quotes to support that argument in a long list of choosing Isaac, choosing Isaac over Ishmael, right? Of, of Jacob over Esau, of raising up Pharaoh just for the sake of revealing his glory. And then he brings in this Hosea passage. I don't think to, to justify, just to solely try to justify, uh, the inclusion of Gentiles, nor is he quoting it to say that Gentiles is a cipher for the northern kingdom. What he's doing, he's, he's quoting Hosea 1 to say, look, it's just like in Hosea, where he's lo ruchama and lo ami, and he, by his de- declaration, he called them by a new name and gave them new status just by his divine authority, by his power as sovereign king. So it's by his call, that's the point here. Election is by what God calls a person. Okay, it's how so, God reckons you, not how you reckon yourself. I agree with you, and I want everybody to remember what Rob just said, because this will fit into what I'm going to be talking about here in a few seconds. But let's go back to Hosea 1-2. He says that when the Lord first spoke, I'm reading out of the ASB, so let's, let's explore this a little bit. He says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of, of harlotry. But and the have the have, is, the have the is not there. Yeah, the have is not there. So, so uh, go take yourself a wife of harlotry, and children of harlotry. Which means, which means, <clears throat> children of harlotry is the object of the verb take. Doesn't it seem like he's taking her out of That's harlotry I, though? It seems well, to me yeah, like he's. What about, where are these children of harlotry though? That there's no other kids mentioned. We only, we only have three kids mentioned for Hosea. The firstborn, we're told, is in fact his. She bore to him. And he's got the name that's the good name, Israel. Yes, yeah, the last. But how do you. Uh, so, so so. uh, they, they supply the word have and have children of harlotry. Because. Uh, I think it means take also means when, they, when she has. But she, I, bears, I, she bears the children. She bears the two, chil- the, the two low children. She bears them. Right, so, no, right. So verse two is just a snapshot of what's to come. In other words, God's what telling are children them, of harlotry, though. It means that she's going to have you're going to have kids pop up. She's going to get pregnant during your pre- pre- during your marriage, and they're not going to be yours. And you need to take them as your own. That's mm. my that's my suggestion. I, I could be totally wrong. I, I, like I said, I I started looking at some commentaries. The commentaries I looked at dismissed that idea. They're saying, no, just because it doesn't say to him, me, you, can't, you can't just build a case that they're not his kids. And I'm like, you know, okay, I appreciate that, but I, I think it's worth at least exploring. But in terms of Paul's quotation, Paul, that it's neither here nor there. First, because Paul, for Jew or Gentile, it's God's election that matters. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And Paul, Paul quotes this passage in uh, in Romans, right? He 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 references the the children that come from Hosea. Well, imagine if if Hosea's got his own kid, Lo Ruhama, or it's a daughter. Yeah, I named her Lo Ruhama, and someday I'm just going to change her name to Ruhama. So what? It's his kid the whole time. But if it's but if it's not his kid, it's a 
But if it's not his kid, he named her Lower Kama, that means her first name reflected like a difficult reality. And then when he calls her Ruhama, what does that mean? That means he's adopting her. That means his, his love and the covenant faithfulness and adoption is overriding the difficult fact of the fleshly side of things. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just my thought. Okay, so uh, this kind of ties into what got me all sidetracked the other day. And uh, so I got sidetracked on this passage in Romans. And uh, we'll read, we'll read uh, a couple of verses before. The, the part that I got hung up on and uh, I'm learning has been the point of contention for many Bible scholars throughout history uh, is in uh, Romans 11.26a. So I will start in uh, Romans 11.24, and I will go through 11.27. Paul says, If you were cut cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So, obviously the part that I am uh, that I am centering in on here is really uh, 1125 but uh, focusing specifically on 1126a, which is, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. So my father has written on this. And one of the reasons that this uh, sparked so much controversy is because uh, my father was discussing just in very quick passing on Shabbat, he touched on this. And uh, I took a different stance than he did. And and anytime I take a different stance uh, on something than my father, it always not only brings a significant amount of of, uh, good discussion, but it also uh, makes me really buckle down and study because if I'm going to bring a contrary view than what my father has to my father, I better know what I'm talking about because if I don't, he will slaughter me theologically. And that has happened many a time. So my father in his Romans commentary writes this. He says um, uh, regarding 1126a, he says the cognitive and so is kai hutos and means, and in this manner. This actually is a very important little phrase here, and in this manner. Uh, I was reading N.T. Wright's commentary on Romans today, and uh, N.T. Wright basically says that uh, this kayout hutos cannot mean, uh, cannot be temporal. I disagree with him on this. Okay, so maybe I should, maybe I should lay out what the problem is here. The question is, is what does Paul mean when he says all Israel shall be saved? Now, there there are going to be many commentators, including N.T. Wright, by the way, uh, who I seem it seems like I agree with N.T. Wright on um, basically the stance on most of his stance of this. That always scares me. Anytime I agree with uh, N.T. Wright on something, although I really like N.T. Wright and a lot of what he does, uh, anytime I agree with him, it makes me take a step back and reevaluate um not because i don't like uh dr wright and his you know i know dr wright and uh, i've spoken with him personally several times 
but uh, I disagree with him on many things as well. So he takes the stance, as does a lot of scholars, that uh, that Paul is actually quoting the Mishnah, and this would be in uh, Sanhedrin 10.1. The Mishnah says, all Israel has a share in the world to come, as it, as it reads, and then they they quote Isaiah 60.21, and thy people, they will all be righteous forever, shall they possess the land, the sprout of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may glorify myself. And then they go on and they lay out who does not have a share in Israel. I actually disagree with Dr. Wright on this. Um, I think that, uh, I think that uh, th this mission is quite late. And I think that they're responding to Paul. I don't think it's the other way around. Uh, I think that uh, basically they say they're looking at Paul and what he says uh, in Romans and uh, basically his his uh, exposition of Isaiah. Because uh, throughout Romans uh, 9 through 11, and stop me at any point here, by the way, Rob. Uh, throughout his exposition uh, from 9 to 11, he continually quotes from the Septuagint of Isaiah. So he's basically kind of uh, using Isaiah as his platform to speak about all these various things, the ingrafting, the grafting into the olive tree uh, of, the, of the Gentiles into the olive tree. And so I think what uh, is happening with the Mishnah is that the rabbis are now responding to the Christians who have uh, risen up and are using Paul to say that uh, the Gentiles are grafted into the olive branch of Israel. And so the rabbis come back and they give their response of, no, essentially, uh, I'm reading into the text, obviously, but basically the way that I see the Mishnah here is that they're saying, no, Paul's wrong. That's not how it is. This is how it really is. And then they lay out who is, uh, who has a share in Israel and who does not. Um, so that's how I see the Mishnah. So uh, uh, if if I ever end up writing something, actually, uh, there's so much that can be said about this this uh, passage here uh, that it might almost be worth writing my thesis on. Uh, so uh, in a I'm, way, they're in a way they are supporting, <laughs> maybe ironically, in in the Mishnah that you quote in Sanhedrin is that not all Israel is Israel. In other words, if if the rabbis are saying. Okay, all these, all Israel has a share in the worlds to come, and then quotes the Isaiah passage, then says except, and then has a long list of Israelites, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Israelites and others that don't that don't fit. What are they trying to say? Sure, they're saying, well, not all Israel is Israel, and the, by the first Israel now, now I'm quoting Romans nine six there. Not the rabbis aren't quoting that, but they're are they not kind of saying that by saying all Israel has a place in the world to come? Yeah. And here's the Isaiah passage that they're the planting of the Lord for his glory. But, this but then is, to proceed to give this list, they're saying there's a difference between Israel in the world to come, which is eschatological Israel, versus history of the Tanakh and history of the rabbis of the people they exclude. Right. Okay. Yes. And and actually, I, you hit you hit another point, is that the I think the rabbis are basically responding to Romans essentially nine through eleven. They're not just if, right. The arguments of the Lord, arguments, whether or yeah. not they've read Romans or not is we don't know. But but but, but that no, basic no, no. I, I I think that they did though because the the rabbis had a very good you know we had debates in the in the second and third century uh, between the Christians and the rabbis. Okay, and the rabbis were very good at at knowing the uh, how to respond to the theology of the Christians. How did they? do that? 
How, how did they know how to respond to the theology? Well, I think it's because they, they too were having to deal with some of these passages. Now, this is what Romans 9, 5 through 7 says. 9, 6 is the, is the passage that, uh, that, that really plays into what my thoughts are on 11, uh, 26. Uh, so Romans 9, 5 through 7 says to them, that is, and now I believe, actually, maybe we should start one sooner. Hang on. So let's start in four. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the Torah, the worship, and the promises. To them belongs the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Messiah, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. There is a variant there. I know that. However, I think that this is the correct reading. Okay. Continuing on in 9.6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now, here's the thing is that Paul has hit home very hard throughout all Romans that that uh, that it's a it has it's not about it's not about bloodline it's about God's election God elects who He will and just as you said in Hose, in Hosea right it is and He up, chooses it and clearly and Paul's also saying He chooses Israel yeah but but He's also saying Israel's like a tree that gets pruned off there's an elect within Israel sure exactly. Agreed. I, I'm totally with you. So here's what my uh, here's here's the rub that my that my dad has, and he has some very very decent points on this. So basically, my dad's saying that the tree can't be the elect. You can't say that the tree is the elect. We're talking about the tree of Romans 11. That's right, the olive tree that get that people get grafted into and people get pruned off. And the, and he's got a very good point here, and the reason why is because. You can't lose your salvation. God chooses, right? So any so any olive tree that has that has branches being pulled off of it and put back on it, it's like a moving target. We don't know if it's the elect or not. Well, my father would say it's not it's not the elect, and I want to be very careful because I want to try to represent him well. Now he takes Cranfield's uh, he takes Cranfield's uh, view of this passage and maybe we should read Cran or well maybe we should read my father so um uh, much discussion has ensued about the exact this is from my, my father's commentary on the book of romans this is page 361 of the second volume he says much discussion has ensued about the exact meaning of all israel pas israel uh, the following comprise the primary suggestions. By the way, you can find the same list in N.T. Wright's commentary on Romans as well as in Cranfield's uh, uh, commentary on Romans. Both uh, Wright and my father essentially uh, take from Cranfield on this. Number one, this is, these are the various views, the four various views, most popular views on what all Israel will be saved uh, means here in Romans uh, 11.26. Number one, that Israel here means all the elect, both Jews and Gentiles. Number two, that Israel here means all the elect of the Jews. Number three, that Israel here means the whole nation of Israel, including every individual, and some would extend this to every member in every generation. And number four, that Israel here means the whole nation, but not necessarily including every individual member. So my father goes on, I'm just going to read the very first part of this uh, because it'll explain why he rejects uh, uh, the, first, the first one, that is that all Israel here means all the elect, both Jews and Gentiles. 
Uh, he says, number one, must be rejected out of hand for the simple reason that the Herman, that her hermeneutically there is no basis for understanding Israel differently in this verse than in the previous one. What is more, Israel and, and Gentiles are clearly contrasted throughout the context of verses 11 through 32. Okay, um, so my father ends up taking the fourth view, that is that Israel here means the whole nation, but not necessarily including every individual member. So what my father would say, and uh, so, and I've heard him use, many people I bet have heard him say this, that just as we can look at Israel right now and say, as an entity, as a whole, Israel rejects Yeshua, there will come a time, an eschatological time down the road, when we will be able to look at the, at Israel as a as an uh, entity and say Israel accepts Yeshua. Now it might not be every individual within Israel accepts Yeshua, but the majority and the whole as an entity accepts Yeshua as the Messiah. That is the physical descendants of Jacob. Okay. And he right takes a different view. And let me see if I can find it here. Okay, here we go. And to Wright says, uh, I remain convinced that the right answers are A and A and A. God will save all Israel, that is, the whole family of Abraham, Jew and Gentile alike. This will take place during the course of, the, of present history. It will happen through their coming to, to Christian faith. So, uh, I think without even uh, maybe, you know, I, I know that Dr. Wright would say that he is not a replacement theologian. However, what he is saying is that Israel will come into the church. I reject this straight out. Israel will not come into the church. The church will come into Israel. He's got it backwards. Right? Israel, the, 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 you're, you're, the church is Gentile believers in Yeshua? That's how I understand okay. a right to use the church. Okay. So he's saying that, that, that Israel... He's not will, saying the church is Jews and Gentiles together that believe? Yeah, he, say, oh, he is. He's saying that the church is Jews and Gentiles who believe, but that Israel will become part of the church, basically, is the way that I understand what Wright is saying. What I am saying is, is that, no, the church, that is, Gentiles, Jew, Jewish and Gentile believers who are in, quote, the church, however you want to take that, will become part of Israel. And we start. We've already started to see this with uh, a uh, the Gentiles. Well, if, the, if the basic olive tree is Israel, if the, if we look at that, Israel in this world, then Gentiles who believe are grafted on to Israel already. I right? agree. Yes. Now the thing is the point about, and I agree with your dad on this that his view of Romans eleven that the tree, with these with branches being pulled off wild olives being branched on, grafted on, and then potential broken offs being grafted back in, that this is from our perspective. In other words, we might have people that come and be part of our community for a while, and they seem like they're, they're part of us, and then they go off, and then they go off the deep end and, and never return, you know? So, but we're not to judge them. We can't prejudge. We can't <clears throat> see the hearts of people. So, it, the tree will be will represent the elect at Judgment Day. Yes, and I asked my dad about that, and he said yes, that, that he believes that. So basically, he's saying that the tree... Because there's not going to... Because then it's not... No one's going to be pulled off anymore. Exactly, and, and, right? and, and yeah, and I, I agree with him on that. And, and in other words, the tree is Israel as we see it today. I agree with that. However, I think that... 
And this is where I, this is where I uh, move away from what my father's understanding is. I believe that, that, uh, that Paul uses it. Now, once again, I haven't solidified my belief on this. So, the, uh, you know, I can't even say that I believe this yet. Uh, the way that I, the way that I am currently understanding the way that Paul uses Israel here is I think he does use Israel differently in 25 and 26. So, and I think that we see this already start in, in, uh, in, in Romans 9, 6. So if we come to 25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. First of all, this, you remember how we were talking about Khan and his new book, The Book of Mysteries? Maybe he, we just need to wait for, we need to just stop talking and wait, wait for him. Book. Yeah, well, uh, I think that Paul uses the, the uh, word correctly. So we already know that Paul is telling us that this is a mystery. This is something that's difficult to understand. Okay, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. So not all Israel has been hardened, but a partial hardening has come on Israel. Until, and this, this word right here, until, which is uh, akriun, or akrihu, uh, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Wright does not deal with uh, this word until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in at all. And I think this is probably the down, one of the downfalls. He has several downfalls in his ar argument, but uh, he says until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in or until the fullness of the Gentiles enters. First of all, enters what? Enters, in my mind, enters the tree that is Israel. Now, I look, I know my dad told me, and he's right on this. I got to be very careful here because I know that there has been uh, that I have to be very careful with the way that I that I talk about this because there have been a lot of anti-Semites who have taken the view that the olive tree is the elect. OK, and so I got to be very careful. I'm not saying that there is not a place for the physical uh, descendants of Jacob. And I'm not saying that the church yeah, Paul's is replaced. clearly not saying that. Yeah, yeah. Paul's clearly not saying that. So, so I don't. He's, want... he's he's warning people don't boast against. Yeah, and don't, Israel. Yeah, and you and, have no, you have nothing to stand on to boast against Israel because it's God's chosen people, and you better be afraid of doing that. Exactly, and I and I think that uh, that Paul has used the the term Israel for the most part, not completely, but for the most part. Referring to the physical nation of Israel, that is the physical descendants of Jacob. He's done that throughout Romans now, right? He's used this this term, this word Israel, uh, numerous times to refer to the physical descendants of Jacob. So I don't I don't discount that. However, I think he shifts it here, and I think he gives us clues of it. First of all, he says it's a mystery. Second of all, he says there's a partial hardening, and then he says until the fullness of the Gentiles has entered or has come in, and in this. And in this, so what is he referencing there? He's back to this idea that there's this hardening and that the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. And in this way, all Israel, and now I think he's switched, all Israel will be saved as it is written. And he misquotes this. This is another thing that I, I haven't, I figured this out right before we came on air and I haven't had time to study it uh, the way that I need to. He uh, misquotes this passage from Isaiah 59, 21. Uh, he, so he, try, he, he quotes 59, 21. He says, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. That is a misquote from the Septuagint. Um, and then he goes on with the quote, and this is the quote from uh, Isaiah 59, 21, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. 
So why he misquotes it, I'll have to look into that. Well, because because Yeshuv could be they will repent. Remember Shuv, Shuv in Hebrew to return and to repent come from. But the I same. don't. Okay, but but I think that Paul is very cognitive of what he's saying here. I think he fully understands the way that he is quoting this passage. It's not an offhand quote. It's not like he's just, oh, yeah, well, it says this, you know, blah, blah, blah. What does the Septuagint say? What does the Septuagint say there? Yeah, so the Septuagint, and this is, so we compared uh, Rolf's uh, Septuagint with, um, with uh, Sweet's Septuagint. They both say the same thing, yet he misquotes both of them. Mm. Um, at least I think I think that's the case. I think that's the case. So anyway, uh, and then he wants us to think of uh, that turn, the return to be repent in terms of repentance. See this, yeah, and I think that this this uh, phrase until the fullness of the Gentile comes in or has entered. What does that mean? It means that they have they have the fullness of the Gentiles has entered the eschatological Israel, and that's why I think he changes here, and thus all Israel will be saved. And my dad said, "Well, show me any other place in uh, in in um, in Romans where he uses uh, where he uses Israel to mean eschatological Israel and not the physical descendants of Jacob." And my response to that is Romans nine six. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel, that is, not all who are physical descendants from Israel are, belong to Israel, that is, is eschatological Israel, that is saved. And there's other places, too. We got one in Galatians, right? We and my, do have... We even do my have, dad brought this up. Yeah, go ahead. We do have in Romans 2... In, in Romans 2, let's see here, like verse, verse 25, For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the Torah. But if you're a transgressor of the Torah, your circumcision has become uncircumcision, which literally means your, circ your circumcision status has become foreskin, meaning you're, you're just like a, you become a Gentile. If, if the foreskin man, the foreskin, that's a, the, the person who's viewed as outside the group, keeps the requirements of the Torah, will not his foreskin be regarded as circumcision? Will he not be reckoned as a covenant member? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the Torah, will he not judge you, though having the letter of the Torah and circumcision are a transgression, a transgressor of the Torah? So he says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart. So Paul's point here, he's he's leveraging, saying you might be, you might qualify as an insider into this popular capital C circumcision group, and you're you have pride that you're not like these outsiders, these Gentiles who are called foreskins, these acrobustia. Mm -hmm. But if someone from the acrobustia keeps the Torah, and you who are classified as a as a peritome, as a circumcised person transgresses the Torah, you become an outsider and they become an insider, right? So he's playing with this, that just because you have the label doesn't mean you're in. And it makes me think of John the Baptist, too, when he says, uh, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, mm -hmm. right? He's telling them to repent and believe. Don't just, don't say that, because God could raise up children from these stones to Abraham if he wanted to. So 
there is, I think, room in the apostolic writings to understand that this prophetic voice from John the Baptist, Yeshua, and his disciples saying, look, just calling yourself Israel doesn't cut it. Just being labeled Israel doesn't help you. I love how Adam made a joke. What does Microsoft Windows and an Armenian reading Romans have in common? They both skip nine. Oh. <laughs> okay, so uh, the other, uh, and the other, no, once again, my father's argument on this is, is very solid. He's got a solid argument. However, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, for me, finding a, uh, for me, finding something that I disagree with my father on uh, is always interesting because a lot of the time he has, uh, either through him or through other people, I've come around to what he has believed. For instance, Armenian theology, um, also a Trinitarian theology, uh, some other things like this. Uh, I've been I've been convinced by other people, and uh, have eventually come over to uphold what he has uh, tried to teach me the whole time. Uh, so I have to be careful. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, right now I can't even say I necessarily agree one way or the other. I'm just investigating. You know, and I'm trying to show what I what my argument might be, uh, but in reference to Israel being uh, used by Paul, uh, and my father has an argument against this too. But uh, in reference to Israel being used by Paul as an eschatological uh, Israel, that is the elect. Uh, Galatians six sixteen is one that will have to be investigated as well. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God, that is, Israel to Theu, the Israel of God. That's exactly what it says in the Greek. The believer in Yeshua, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, in let's say one of Paul's churches that he plants, let's say in Galatia or in Rome, well, Paul actually hadn't been to Rome at that time when he writes, writes the letter to the Romans. He wants to come to Rome, so he hadn't been there yet. But imagine, middle of the first century, we have these little communities that are being persecuted, Constituting a constituted of Jews and Gentiles who believe in Yeshua, they're keeping the Shabbat. They're obviously keeping the idea of the festival sure. calendar, etc. Okay, they're dealing with some of the people persecuting them are like official Roman Israelites. I mean, Rome recognizes the authority of these people called Jews that are persecuting you, right? Rome recognizes the Judean state to some degree, even though they're occupying it. There, in other words, it's a, it's a recognized uh, Roman era, Greco-Roman era I, national identity that has power that is uh, persecuting you. Okay, and then some of these people in this who are part of the way are thinking, oh, well, we're the elect. I guess God's really written those people off. Paul's saying, no, you can't think that. You always have to hold out hope. That's right, yes. Paul's saying you always have to hold out hope. And when he's, when he's talking about the Israel that you have to hold out hope for, is a bigger picture than the Israelite group in front of you that's persecuting you, right? You you, you have to see beyond the, pe- the people who are persecuting you, you have to bless them. You have to pray for them. You're ready to give your life that they would even be saved mm-hmm. if that would save them. Um, that's the Israel you have to have in mind. You have to have in mind the Israel that is beloved for the sake of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for the sake of the fathers. Not don't don't just let Israel that is hostile toward you because they reject the gospel and they're persecuting you. Don't let that person define Israel for you. 
you have to have a bigger picture, a scripturally promise-based picture of who Israel is, and that's how you have to interact with these people. And Paul's coming from, he's Experience. like, man, yeah, he knows. It's like, I was on the other side. Yeah. I was the Israelite who was de- trying to define Israel and trying to say that you don't belong, and you're doing it wrong, delivering you over to death, sitting there approving of when Stephen was stoned by the, by the ruling of the Sanhedrin and all this stuff. Paul's like, look, I was there. You have to hold out hope because there's going to be other people that are part of that, and they're going to be blind, just like me, but the Lord's going to waken them up. And you have to hold out mercy. You have to hold out to that picture of, of what I'm going to call eschatological Israel. Yeah. Israel that will be saved according to the promise. That doesn't mean every Israelite is going to be included, right? It just mean, And it doesn't mean that they're going to stop these groups, zealous groups aren't going to start stop persecuting you. But you have to, you have to bless, you have to uh, pray, you have to return good to those people with that picture, with God's promise in mind. So I found this place uh, that uh, where, where Dr. Wright talks about uh, <clears throat> this phrase, Kai Hutos. He says, when therefore, is that, because uh, remember that Dr. Wright is going to tell us that this, uh, this, and then all Israel will be saved. Well, and it's not even then. So this is the what he's going to talk about here. And thus all Israel will be saved. He's saying that this is going to happen throughout time, from the beginning of time all the way to the end of time. So it, it, it goes through time. He says, when therefore is the salvation of all Israel to take place? The key is the phrase kayout uh, hutos, which introduces all Israel shall be saved, translating this phrase, and so, as do the NRSV and the NIV and many others, is technically not incorrect, but it may be misleading. If it is supposed that Paul has a temporal sequence in mind, as many commentators have urged and many translations have indicated, in other words, if we imagine that and so really means and then. In English, so can mean effectively then or even afterward, but the Greek hutos simply does not bear this sense. It regularly means thus, in this in, way, in this way, yeah, in this in way, this. after this fashion, by the means, often occurring in pair with kathos just as, or even so. It describes the meaning in which rather than the time at which something happens. Now he goes on, he gives numerous different, uh, numerous different passages, uh, talk, even just in Romans, uh, where he proves this point. And then uh, he says, even in other Pauline instances of Kai Hutos include uh, uh, 5.12, 1 Corinthians uh, 7.17, 3.36, uh, Galatians 6, 2, 1 Thessalonians, so, so on and so on. So basically he's saying this has no uh, uh, temporal aspect. I disagree with him, as does my father, and I actually take my father's reading on this because within his commentary on the book of Romans, and actually this was a great point that, uh, who is this by Michael, Dr. Michael G. Van Lanningham. So we got this book from our buddy the other day. Uh, both Rob and I were sent a free copy of this book, The People, the Land, and the Future of Israel, Israel and the Jewish People in the Plan of God, Editors edited by Daryl Bach and Mitch Glaser, and forward by Joel Rosenberg. Uh, so this is just a collection of various people from Chosen People Ministries and, and other ministries that have uh, that are, I believe, m- predominantly Chosen People Ministries, who have put together various articles. And uh, this one... Uh, so we got this yesterday. I didn't even flip through it, and I got a call. Uh, Rob and I had been discussing this throughout the day, 
And uh, Rob gives me a call and he says, did you open that book? You need to look on page 123. And sure enough, on page 123, this gentleman writes the identity of Israel and the phrase all Israel in Romans uh, 1126. So uh, to our friend Bobby, thank you so very much for uh, sending this over to me. It uh, has actually been a, a great help uh, in, in looking into this. So he points out, uh, this gentleman in, in his paper points out that Dr. Wright doesn't uh, deal at all with this phrase until the fullness of the Gentiles comes, comes in. This does put a eschatolog or a uh, a temporal uh, a temporal meaning to uh, kaihutos, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on that? You're my Greek no, teacher. I, you tell me. No, I like. I, well, the Greek's fine. You, you're there's nothing in the Greek against your interpretation. You know, and that's um, so that that's not an issue. The issue is understanding. And well, what does that look like if it's if if Israel is being hardened for a measure of time? Right, uh, and then there's going to be a time though where it's implied that the fullness of the of the Gentiles has come in has been accomplished. Right? That's yeah, what you're and, saying. And, yes, uh, yes, exactly. That's uh, got to happen. The, the the biggest issue that I'm going to have uh, if I write a paper on this or if I try to do a uh, thesis on this will be trying to prove that Paul uses the word Israel to mean two separate different things. In, in different places, and not only in different places, but once in one once in one verse, the previous verse, verse eleven twenty five, and then differently in the very next verse, eleven twenty six. That's yeah. going to be the the difficult. Uh, the, N. T. Wright does agree with your reading on that point. He agrees with my so, reading uh, on he, that. He, uh, well, he agrees that it's you. He uses it two different ways. Yes, he does that that far. So I, I, I'm in good company at least that far. However, uh, I believe that Dr. Wright is wrong on his uh, interpretation of the rabbinical uh, literature in Sanhedrin 10.1. I also disagree with him on the idea that this uh, is that Paul is talking about this throughout all time and not yeah. a specific moment exactly. in time. And I also disagree with him that the church is what is uh, what what everyone's being grafted into. Rather, it's Israel that the church is being grafted into. So I, I've got a lot of work in front of me if I decide that I'm actually going to write it up. Right, because the well, the church is not a brand new thing on the scene. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, it, that's one of the things we've looked at. Your dad's uh, workbook called "I Will Build My Ecclesia" gets into that when he reviews basic uh, ecclesiological, you know, origin uh, schemes from the Roman Catholic Church, you know, from dispensational theology, and then from the Reformed tradition. Um, and goes on to show, you know, when Yeshua says, I will build my ecclesia, you know, some will say, oh, this is brand new thing. It's like the Catholics. It's a brand new thing. Brand new Israel. Yeah. Um, uh, but of course, we're coming from a promised theology point exactly. is that when Yeshua says, I will build my, uh, my kehila, my ecclesia, it's not uh, a brand new thing. It's not ne something never existed. He's drawing on, you know, there's a whole line of faithful Israel before him that are part of that kingdom. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a continuation of um, and, and growth expansion of that. So um, I hope that uh, everybody's enjoyed our little chat here. Basically, uh, the reason that we talked about this was not because this was actually going to be our topic today, but because... <laughs> Because I Caleb was, got sidetracked. I got sidetracked, and, and, I, that's okay. and I got, uh, and since I, I got sidetracked, I didn't, uh, 
I, I didn't do the work that was necessary to actually uh, cultivate our topic for today. So this is what I, you got. I want to say, I want to give people permission to get sidetracked. I know that I'm, I'm a little overboard. I can rabbit trail like for a long time to the point I forget where I left off. Okay. So you don't have to be as rabbit trail as I am. However, I think it's good to give yourself permission, especially when you're studying the word, because it's not, it's not like a, it's not like a destination, like, oh, I got to get through Romans 9 today. I got to get through Romans 9. If you're doing that, you're going to be like, okay, pushing on. But if you say, you know, I'm going to chew on Romans 9, 6, and I'm going to look at some notes, and I'm going to look at some other scriptures, and you allow, allow your sniffer, you know, to, to, to search out the scriptures, you're going to get that whole picture reinforced. Yeah. And that's, that is such a wonderful thing. And, and those are the times for me personally, I leave the my devotional time, my study time, feeling like energized because I feel like, wow, I feel like I've got a little, little more glimmer of, of this big picture. And so I just want to encourage people to don't be, uh, don't be afraid of the rabbit trail. Don't be afraid of the distraction. I, I'm glad you were distracted with that, Cale, because then when later when we got that book in the mail, and oh, it was perfect. I, it was just like, wow, this is like a really cool thing. And I'm glad that the Lord led it this way, led us this way. So um, next week, uh, Rob's trying to ditch us. He's trying to take a week off. And uh, <laughs> he said, yep. I don't know what we're going to talk. I don't know what I'm going to talk. You know, maybe it, it would be fun to have my dad on and so he can uh, actually uh, tell me why I'm, I'm so misguided on Romans 11.26. That might be fun. I don't know. Uh, maybe it wouldn't. I don't, we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, but no matter what, we will have a fun time next week. So come join us. And yeah. I uh, I think this was a good conversation. If you disagree with us, go ahead and send us an email, chagatorresource.com. Uh, you can tell us if you want to hear a specific show topic. You can tell us if you want to disagree with us. You can tell us uh, why we're big morons and all those kind of great things, which is email we get all the time. So don't be shy. Uh, and uh, we hope that uh, this conversation has opened your mind to maybe further study the scriptures uh, and dive into the truth of the word and maybe the truth of Romans. What a great book it is. And uh, one thing that Paul does very well in the book of Romans is he glorifies our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.